Yes, today's reading is taken from First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud. But shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that a family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings, and the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother. I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is a true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lucy. I forgot to make one announcement, uh, which is about uh, Andy's funeral. Um, if you would like to join in singing, um, there will be a there is a choir uh, that's forming, uh, mainly by St. Andrew's members. But if you like to sing with the choir, uh, please uh, let the office know, uh, and we'll direct you so that you can sing uh, with them in the choir. But uh, we're coming to the last uh, last sermon in this series in First Peter five. But let's pray. That God will speak to us through this passage. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks that your word goes out and does not return to you empty. We thank you that these are your words, and we pray now that you will speak to us and you will build us up as your church, as your people, that we may stand firm in our faith. In Jesus' name, Amen. Peter once declared, "Even if I, even if all fall away, I will not." To Jesus, and Jesus answered, "I tell you the truth. Today, yes, even tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times." But Peter insisted emphatically, "Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you." Well, you know. How that story turned out. Peter did not die with Jesus on Good Friday. 
He denied Jesus three times, once swearing, but bringing down curses on himself to save his life. But after the resurrection, Jesus called Peter, and this is what he said, do you love me? He asked the question, and then when Peter says, yes, I do, he said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep three times. Jesus astonishingly makes this person, Peter, an apostle, a shepherd in his church. And Peter did not stumble in the same way ever again. He stood firm in his faith until his life was taken away from him. And this is why he wrote this letter, so that we, in our life, we would not stumble that we would stand firm in our faith. That's what he says in verse 9. That's what he says in verse 12. He writes, With the help of Silas, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Stand fast in the faith. But as you know, as Peter knew, this is hard. It's not easy to stick fast in our faith. We've known people who have fallen away without even suffering. How can we stand firm in the faith when so much of the world seems to be so against it? When our brothers and sisters are persecuted and killed and we, there are suffering that we cannot even um, understand. And Peter wrote this, uh, wrote uh, throughout this letter that this is the time of suffering, that there are unjust governments, he reminded us. Syria, Turkey, UK, US to a large extent, just across the border, China. Our workplaces are filled with unjust bosses, difficult bosses who make our lives difficult, people who are not Christian, people who are some, uh, some who are actively opposed to Christianity. Some of you are married to husbands and wives who are opposed to the faith, who make your life difficult because of your faith. How are we supposed to stand firm in this? Surprisingly, Peter turns to the leaders of the church. He writes, he says, as a fellow elder in the church, shepherd God's flock that is under your care, watching over them in verse 2. In order to stand firm in our faith, in order for us to stand firm in our faith, we need the elders We need the pastors, we need the leaders of the church to be good shepherds. Because good shepherds are especially important in the time of suffering, in the time of trial. But what's surprising is here, what he writes isn't about a list of things that the elders are supposed to do. It's not what they're supposed to do that he writes about. He says he writes about how we're supposed to do them. You see how he goes on. Verse 2, watch over them, not because you must, but because you're willing. Shepherds are supposed to serve willingly because they believe it's a privilege to serve. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Pastors aren't there to see how much money they could squeeze out of their flock. Rather, they serve because they want to, because they are eager to serve. Not lording it over those who are, who are who, uh, those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Pastors don't do their job because they get a bit of a tingle every time somebody does something that they told them to do because of this power. But they are 
not, they don't ask people anything that they aren't willing uh, to do themselves. They lead by example in front lines by cleaning, visiting, teaching, and serving, setting up chairs, cleaning up, hosting, and giving. And what the leaders of the church do is important because the flock then follows. The church members start serving, not because they have to, but because they want to, because they're willing. They serve not for money or for any other dishonest mean, uh, motivations, but because that they, that's what they have seen their chief shepherd, Jesus, doing. That's what they've seen their elders in the church doing. No one then uses their position to abuse and to lord it over others to get what they want, but they lead by example, everyone. There's a church in Virginia um, that I, my parents and I uh, visited time to time where all the ordained ministers in the time when, when it was raining, they are all out in, in, the, in, the, in the, uh, the, the entrance with their umbrellas, greeting people and helping people not to get wet in the time of rain. For me, as a, a person who grew up in the Korean church with the pastors being very authoritative, when I first saw this, I was blown away. And I thought... I want to be like that. I want to be a leader like that. That's why having people, right leaders in the leadership position is important. Because it trickles down. Because the flock watch their leaders and they follow. So if you're a committee member or any kind of leader in this church, how are you leading? Are you leading how are you leading the refreshments team, music team, and the kingdom kids team, revelation warriors, PA, set up, and links groups? I think Shatin Church, for, for uh, the most part, I think you guys do a wonderful job. I think you do lead by example. I think you do go out of your way to serve people. But we can't be complacent. What the leaders do affect the church. And what the church does also affects the world. That's why it's also important for us to stand firm, for the leaders to get it right, for the church to get it right, because it's not just for us. It's the mission that we have for the wider world. It's for the world. And that was a theme that ran throughout First Peter, right? Remember what Peter wrote back in chapter 2. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that we may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We, the church, are God's people. We are the new Israel. We're chosen not just for ourselves, but to declare God's praises so that the whole watching world could see that there is God, that there is light in this world, so that they would see his wonderful light through us. That's why we're also then told to live good lives in chapter 2, even though, so that even as they accuse us of doing wrong, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Salvation of those who don't know Jesus is what's at stake. As we live in this foreign world, we are to live good lives and submit to unjust governments, to, uh, to our bad bosses, and to even our husbands, so that they could see that we serve a different king, 
that we hold a different treasure, different joy, and different hope that is beyond this world. So once again, committee leaders, committee members, links leaders, music leaders, KKRW leaders, these are the last days. The end of all things is, is near, Peter wrote in chapter 4-7. How the leaders lead matters, not just for us, not just for you, not just for the church, but for the world's sake too. The church is always declaring something to the watching world. But is it the light of God? Is it the praises of God? Is that what we're declaring as a church? Is that what we are doing as leaders? But sometimes as we try to do this, sometimes pride gets in our way and destroys a community. So immediately after telling the elders to shepherd the flock, Peter tells those who are younger or here uh, new um, to uh, the Christian faith to submit themselves to the elders, which would require humility. But that humility isn't a requirement just to, uh, for those who are new to the faith or to uh, those who are young. It is for all. Look at what he goes on to say to the church in verse 5. All of you clothe yourselves in humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humility is a necessity for all of us. Satan appealed Um, to Adam and Eve's pride in the Garden of Eden, whispering, if you eat this, you'll be like God. And that same Satan is here in the midst of this church, whispering the same thing. You should get your way. He continues to tempt us in the same way. And we are to clothe ourselves in humility as we treat each other, as we serve each other, so that we may stand together as God's people. But this humility also isn't just about how we should treat each other, actually. We are to be humble before God, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It does require humility to trust in God's mighty hand in difficult times. Right? Once again, if we think about Alan, it does require humility to submit to God and say, God knows better. God is still the Lord over my life in this difficult circumstance. When people are persecuting you because of your faith, when things are going wrong all around you, it does require great humility to submit to God's will, to submit yourselves to God's almighty hand. When you face persecution because of your faith, what's your first reaction? Do you want to shout back at God, Why me? Why this? Why aren't you doing anything about this? Why can't you run this world better? Don't you love me? Is that humble? Peter is echoing what he wrote in the previous chapter, in chapter 4, verse 19. So then... Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to the faithful creator and continue to do good. We are his creation and his servants, and we are to trust him, however difficult today might be, and continue to do good. And once again, 
as we close this, uh, close this, uh, this series, this has been the theme of this letter throughout, hasn't it? What's required to submit to unjust rulers and authorities in this world? Humility. Humility to submit to God's will. What characteristics required to submit to our bad bosses, spouses to continue to do good, even though they do not treat us as we deserve? Humility. Humility to trust in God's promise that those who are insulted for his name's sake are blessed. Humility that God would use even that situation, maybe even to bring that person who are persecuting you to faith. Clothe yourselves in humility. And once again, I think I've seen this humility in many of you. I know one of you who had to deal with an underling who consistently tried to undermine you and your authority. The person tried to get many, many other people to come um, uh, with her against him. But I also know that this person in our church again and again told himself, I won't respond in kind. I won't take revenge. I will not treat this person differently. I'll continue to serve and love and lead. And what allowed this person to do that? Well, he clothed themselves in humility, trusting in that situation, in God's almighty hand, casting his anxieties on him. Our world does not honor humility, not very often at least, but in order for us to live such good lives in this world, we have to remind ourselves that we're all humble servants of Jesus Christ. So we listen to each other, and we listen to God. We clothe ourselves in humility. But while we're doing this, we can't be naive either. Yes, God is in control, but we also need to know that we are sheep amongst lions. See how he goes on. Peter describes this world and our situation in this way. Verse 8, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Some people are obsessed with the spiritual world. They think of everything in these terms. Whatever something bad happens, they say, this is Satan, this is the evil spirit, this is the devil. Everything in this world uh, is uh, spiritual warfare. If you think this, then you probably actually are not thinking too honestly about what's in your heart. We are much of the way we are. The world is much of the way it is because of our sinful hearts. Our fallen hearts, um, we do bad things. But on the other hand, if you don't ever think about the devil and the spiritual forces at all, then you're just being naive. Satan, who was present in the Garden of Eden, is here in this world. Not everything can be ascribed to him, but much of it can be. I, wa- I just recently watched uh, Wonder Woman. I recommend it. It's a great movie. But one of the... The, the evil character um, in that sort of satanic uh, figure in that movie, what he does is he sort of whispers, whispers ideas. And he empowers key people in the world to do bad things, to do evil things. And I think there is great truth in that sort of depiction in the world. He's here, and he sort of whispers He empowers bad people to do bad things. He is there. In fact, he's prowling. 
He's roaring, looking for something to devour, as Peter says, looking to scare us away from Christ. Our various sufferings, alienation, malicious rumors, parents like forbidding their children to become Christian, and all sorts of sufferings like this might be the devil's way of roaring, trying to scare us away from our faith. They might be his way. But once again, how do we then stand firm against him? I mean, if the devil really is like a lion, would you be able to stand your ground when he's looking at you like, like you were his next lunch? But that's what we're supposed to do, to stand firm, to resist him, verse 9. And Peter says we can stand firm, once again, because this sort of suffering means that we are Christian. In fact, we're not alone in this suffering, he wrote in verse 9. The family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Peter says this is what happens to the family of God. The devil hates Christians, and he's looking to devour you. So rejoice when he brings this kind of suffering on you. Rejoice and stand firm. The family of God is suffering in the same way all around the world. But that's not all. Verse 10, And the God of grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I mean, it might be, it might, it, it sounds almost um, uh, glib when he says this. Even if we suffer, it's for a little while, he says. But this is the great truth that's revealed to us, isn't it? This world is just a little while. Even if we suffer, it is just for a little while. And we're meant for eternity. Our suffering will end. And God, who raised Jesus Christ, will come to us and raise us up again and restore us and make us strong, firm, and steadfast. So he says, don't fear. Resist him. In fact, the fear, fear, I think, is devil's biggest weapon. In a similar passage uh, in James, the apostle James wrote, Submit yourselves unto God. And resist the devil, and he will flee from you, James 4, 7. The devil will, will flee from us as we resist him, if we aren't afraid of him, if we don't give him that power. I don't know if you've seen this clip of a tribe in Africa um, that steals food from lions. I'll put a link to our app so you can watch it. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> There's this extraordinary clip of these Three skinny Africans, African men, dressed in their traditional garb like this, watching 15 lions eating uh, a wilder, uh, uh, wildebeest, wildebeest, wildebeest. Sorry. Uh, in, in the beginning of this clip, uh, these three men are sort of uh, hiding behind a thicket of, uh, of brown grass. But after a while, what they do is the three men in sync get up with maybe a couple of spears in, uh, between them, these three men start marching forward, going towards the lion. And you can see the lion is surprised. The lion sort of looks up, 
and looks at them, goes, what's going on? And then they start roaring. They go, oh. And after a while, as they see these three determined men approaching them, one by one, the lion runs away. And the three men go and cut out a parts of a wildebeest and, and, comes, uh, and, and goes home, go home. You know, the devil exists, but we aren't to be afraid of him. But we are to be watchful, alert, and sober mind and resistant. When you sense that he is roaring, remind yourself that we need not fear. It's a privilege to suffer as Christians. And even if he is able to hurt us in this life, it's just for a while. We are meant for eternity. The tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. He requested uh, to be crucified upside down because he didn't think that he was worthy uh, to die in the same way that Jesus died. Peter stood firm even to that last day in Babylon. How? Well, all those things that he's mentioned in our letter. He had the church. He knew that he wasn't alone in his suffering, that the family of God was suffering all around, and he, he counted himself worthy, right? He counted himself blessed to be suffering alongside of other Christians. Brothers and sisters, we are here to be with you, to stand firm with you. He humbled himself, Peter, and accepted whatever situation that our Lord Jesus thought that he could withstand. He was also aware of the devil, but didn't run away from, the, from him or from his faith. But as we end this series, I want to end with this, because this is the theme of First Peter. I want you to just walk away with this entire sermon series with this in mind, because this is the theme of this letter this passage, as well as the New Testament, suffering is for now, and glory will come. I mean, it's in our passage in verse 4. Shepherds, be examples, do your duties, because, verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. It's there in verse 6. All of you, humble yourselves, so that God may lift you up in, in due time, verse 6. It's there in verse 10. Watch out for him. Uh, watch out for him and resist the devil, because if we do, then he will restore us, make us strong, firm, and steadfast. Friends, we are resident aliens. We live here. We live in Hong Kong. We live in this world, but we don't belong here. And yes, there is this indescribable and glorious joy in knowing Jesus even today knowing him now, but there's also suffering. There's also the cost of following Christ. We're foreigners and aliens in this world, after all. But if we continue, but if we continue, those who don't know this joy around us might come to know him. And if we continue, we will inherit the world. We will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. Suffering is for now, 
but glory will come. So sisters and brothers, stand fast. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for the truth of the Bible, that it reveals us, it reveals to us your plan. We thank you for the eternal glory that is promised for us. Help us to count it a blessing if we suffer for your name's sake. Help us to encourage one another as we stand with the church. Help us to humble ourselves before one another and before you. And help us to resist the devil that the whole world might see that there is a new kingdom coming, that there is a king that we serve who will come and rule. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.